Hey guys, this is not your episode of Cult of Lore. I'm Ben. I'm Eric. And I'm Jerry. And today we're going to interrupt your show very briefly with a special announcement. We have a way of us making money. Woo! <laughs> not a lot of money, but it does take quite a lot of effort for us to do this. A lot of time. More specifically time than effort, but a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of tears. A lot of and sweat. Tears, sweat, sleepless Fu- nights. We keep future Eric in a slave tent. <laughs> it's terrible. Not even a building, a tent. <laughs> so, how can you support the show? You will find a link in the description and or show notes. And that is where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month to support the show. If you want to know what that'll go to for Call of Lore directly, that's going to go into us more uh, sound stuff for us to be able to work on the quotes in particular, that's a direction that that we want to go into heavily. But also, it'll also go towards helping with animation, our equipment. We need new mics, mic stands, oh, yeah, headphones. Like we have one laptop that, much like Future Eric, is just a slave to our whims. And the machine god really hates that. <laughs> All of that will go towards this. You'll also help by supporting us. Uh, we'll be able to do more with the show, more fancy stuff. So click the uh, support the show link, subscribe, join the community. We appreciate you. And please leave comments and reviews and five stars. All five stars at all the podcasts, all the different places. With that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks for the support, guys. Please enjoy the show. Appreciate you. Network Podcast. Ours is a violent calling, but as adherents of the Promethean Creed, we believe in the circle of fire. None can come back as they once were, but in death, we are returned to the ash from whence we came. To be born a new another episode of Call to Lore. I'm Ben. I'm Eric. And I'm Jerry. All right. Today we're covering Vulcan, another Primarch, a loyalist Primarch, the Primarch of the Salamanders. Yeah. And just for those of you who know, Vulcan lives. Stomp, stomp. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> so who here was familiar with Vulcan before we started looking into him? I was not very much. Not no. a surprise. I was <laughs> mildly so. He was one of the early Primarchs that you got into and would talk about like he was, before we even started the he show. He was the first Primarch that grabbed my attention. Oh, he was, wasn't he? he yes, was. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So so did anybody find anything cool and interesting that they surprising about this Primarch that they didn't expect? I thought it was I mean, yes, I would say there's a lot. Um some things I don't know if I want to spoil it beforehand. Sure. But um, you know, so there's a couple things there. So maybe I'll go, oh yeah, that. Um, the fact that he's a perpetual, 
Um, it's like I knew it, but I didn't realize to what extent that was and how much of a mystery. Like, we don't know much about, like, the why of perpetuals. No, yeah, not at all. So. I was wondering about that, about the other Primarchs. Are they also perpetual? No, they are not. Okay, so he, Vulcan is he, so he's pretty unique in that regard. He's the yeah. only one that we know of that is a perpetual. Okay. Yeah. Is there a possibility that some of the other ones that haven't died before are perpetuals? Maybe. Yeah. So I thought that was neat and kind of in that same vein of thought, kind of, uh, the, what was it? The Promethean Creed? The Promethean Cult? Cult. That's, yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't know anything about that, but I thought that was an interesting name that's associated with him as well. Especially <laughs> for being allowed inside the Imperium. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. wondered if that was uh, because the moon of his, the planet that he Nocturne. comes from is, yeah. is called uh, Prometheus. Yep. Oh, yeah. The moon is. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. and so with that, let's go ahead and dive into it. Jerry, yeah. you are responsible for the sections, for the early sections of Vulcan's life when he was what we call a Primark baby. Yeah, Primark baby. When uh, you know the babies were abducted by chaos, correct? Right. Yep, and strewn about. He landed on Nocturne, which is a death world. Yeah, that was another thing I didn't know was that he grew up on a death world. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No Nocturne idea. is. <laughs> I mean, as far as death worlds go, I mean, if that holds any sort of actual value, right. it's less so than say like Catachan or. Uh, uh, Barbarous yeah. for Matarian, yeah, but it's still kind of shitty. Yeah. yeah, and a Death World is a a place that's really hard to settle yeah. for humans. Yeah, Vir- a virtually impossible. Very hostile planet. Yeah, but they do get you know settlements there. <laughs> yep. Um, he was, uh, I think, taken to or he either the from what I read, he landed in the house of this blacksmith guy. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> he was. His name was Imbel. Bell, yeah, nice. Can and you imagine? <laughs> just so I, I have wondered. So Vulcan has onyx black skin mm-hmm. and glowing red eyes, which is a mutation response to the the radiation of Nocturne. Mm. Oh, I wonder how quickly did that happen? Yeah, was it like did the capsule bust open? He's like, because <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine being this blacksmith? He's just sitting there hammering away. All of a sudden, a pod crashes into your house. It opens up. It has a baby in it. The baby suddenly turns black and has flaming red eyes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, he, I think he was aware of the Promethean cult prophecy of the child savior. Oh, yes. Okay. So he named him Vulcan. That's where that's who named him. Okay. Is in Bell. And then yeah. when he reached the age of adulthood at three Terran years. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> he was like full body already like. Uh, bigger God. than any man on Nocturne. Yeah, yeah, I think like most of most of the ones that I've read, they were like the size of a regular adult by the time they were like a year and a half or something. Oh, yeah, shit like that. <laughs> well, he improved the metalworking technology that they had because they were they you know Smith stuff there. That was kind of one of their specialties, right? Uh, and he would hunt the great saurians and other beasts of the volcanic wilds, which were known as salamanders. Yeah, the salamanders, ah. which is big like sort of fire dinosaur they're dragons yeah basically dragons <laughs> they're dragons they're dragons without wings ah and they also had to defend against uh dusk wraiths which were 
dark Eldar. Nice. Oh. It's the slavers that would come and like, you know, steal slaves and, you know, torture them and stuff. I believe Holy you're familiar cow. with the dark Eldar. I remember the dark Eldar yeah. from our episode, the dark Eldar. The homunculus. <laughs> look it up. Yeah. 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 You should go check out that episode. That's a cool episode. It had a really good quote in it. It you was fun. Look. It did. That was Jerry's debut quote. It was. It? Yeah. That was a hoot. Blew it out of the water. Blew it out of the water. Pain. <laughs> he blew it. <laughs> blew it. Jesus. Out of the water. Out of the water. Thank you. Yes, finish that. Freezing. Um, so in his fourth year, there was this Eldar raid and everyone was running and hiding and being afraid. And Vulcan was like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> He'd had enough. So he grabbed uh, two blacksmith hammers, Oof. just two blacksmith hammers. And uh, he was like, he rallied the people and was like, no, let's fight them. So then, you know, those people got roused and he like ended up killing a hundred of them by himself. Oh, yeah. Single handedly. Because Primark. Yeah. yeah. And so they fought him back and then it was like a victory. So they were happy, you know. Yeah. And that inspired people from the other settlements that are on Nocturne to like come and pay homage to him and be like, oh, yeah, okay. And then they would be like, we'll fight back too. This is, uh -huh. we can do that now. <laughs> <laughs> so that was neat. <laughs> he inspired them to. To fight back. And, and all the Dark Eldar went, they fight now? They, they fight, fight now. <laughs> Fuck you, Disney. So after that, they decided, you know, they were celebrating their victory and they were going to have tournaments. Ooh, yeah. Nice. To celebrate. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. As they, you know, that was the thing that they did. As you do. Yeah. And uh, that's when the emperor kind of shows up, but uh, he doesn't reveal himself to be the emperor. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. As he often does. Yeah. And uh, he asks to compete and they're like, yeah. He can't compete with our champion Vulcan. He's, <laughs> he's our guy. Well, I mean, not to mention he's probably like five foot taller than this guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's got muscles that have muscles. He looks like the kid from the Christmas story. You know, I can't put my arms down. <laughs> Future, good luck in the editing of that clip, you bitch. Shit. <laughs> Shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> okay. And then uh, so they were like, you know, you're not whatever. He, he was like, he wagered whoever would lose the challenge would um have to swear loyalty and obedience to the victor oh yeah nice okay okay that was the emperor's idea so uh -huh. then uh they decided all right we'll do it and so they had these tournaments and it was like i think nine days or something like eight days i think of tournament and they just kept doing like tie for tie oh. and like going toe to toe and neither one outshining the other and the, at one point they were holding i think an anvil over their heads and that was like part of the tournament and everyone else like minutes was after minutes, like of they, course. they dropped the anvil and they're like, we can't do it. But the emperor heavy. and Vulcan. Vulcan were just like, not even tired, not even breaking I can, a sweat. I can do this all day. <laughs> they're like, all right, <laughs> oh, all right. So then they, they needed a tiebreaker. So the elders were like, go salamander hunting. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Hunt down the fire dinosaurs. Yeah. Jesus. Whoever brings back the biggest salamander, they win. So it's a salamander measuring contest. <laughs> Go ahead, My boys. salamander was this big. <laughs> no, no, no. You're going to have to whip out your salamander and we're going to have to oh, measure yeah. it yourself. Yeah, you got to have proof. You got to yeah, bring you it gotta back. You got to bring your salamander to the table. You can't just claim to have a giant salamander. <laughs> so they had 24 hours to forge a weapon. Oh, cool. And, uh, okay. Think, um, Vulcan made like a big warhammer. Naturally. Nice. Yeah. yeah as you and do. the emperor made like a, a, a sharp sword. Okay. Which also okay. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, you know, technique over brute force. Right. But. Yeah, so they went to the summit of Mount Deathfire, where the largest of these dragons were. I love this name, by the way. Mount, Mount Deathfire. Deathfire. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I almost spit like my coffee place. out. I mean, so, like, yeah. is that... 
So, like, is that so out of place? Like, do you guys know the Diet Lock Pass incident? Mm-mm. Okay, long fifty thousand foot overview is that these these experienced hikers went hiking in this area in Russia, and they wound up. I think it was Russia. Don't quote me. It's one yeah. of those Slavic areas. They they found they were hiking in this region that was called Dyatlov Pass, but like its name literally translates into "you shouldn't go there." Oh, <laughs> that is great. And so you know, a lot of these places have names. It's like this area sucks. Yeah. Now, you know, I've always wondered that about like different words where it's like, oh, it translates as this. And it's like, so they just that would be like an English calling that place like, you know, Mount Deathfire, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So That's what I'm great. saying is it's not so far. And <laughs> nice people that are like, oh, that sounds like a place I need to go. <laughs> I'm going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it doesn't have the uh, the uh, oh, my God, I'm going to take a shot for this. It doesn't have the effluence of Mount of Mount Doom. Oh, stop. You're right. Uh, wow. You're right. Okay, I knew that was going to come up. Uh, I knew mm. it. I won't. <coughs> Mount <laughs> Deathfire. <laughs> yeah. We're going to continue with Vulcan's story, but I have things to say on that. <laughs> so that's a massive volcano. Right. Yeah. Mount yeah. Deathfire is. Yeah. Mount Deathfire. Uh, Vulcan ends up killing one of the Drakes. Yeah. Nice. Nobody nice. thought he was going good, home. Good for dated. Vulcan. No, no, yeah. no. He's, he's uh, been doing this a while. He, knew, yeah. he yeah. knows what he's doing. Take on a good Drake. But this eruption Wait, happens salamander. and it like knocks him off the side of a cliff and he's oh. holding on with one hand, but he's got his salamander in the other hand. So he's like, you know, I can't, I can't get back up. It's like, you know, strong as he is and everything. He's holding on to one of these giant salamander. Right. And, you know, he's starting to feel like he's going to slip and he's like, oh no, oh no. Fellas, your salamander will just get you in all kinds of trouble. Just, <laughs> yes. Continue the metaphor. <laughs> no, so, hold on tight to that salamander. So the emperor shows up uh-huh he's clearly got a bigger salamander oh, naturally man. it's quite clear yeah, i bet it's the biggest <laughs> salamander <laughs> it is the biggest salamander biggest but, thickest salamander yeah jesus but he throws it into the lava to like get to where um sort of use it as like a i think a bridge to get to where oh. where he where a vulcan is hanging off the edge of this cliff okay and uh you know he helps him up and then they go back down to the village and the village is like, well, Vulcan's the winner because he has a big salamander. He's got the salamander. Yeah. And then Vulcan like shushes the crowd. He's like, no, no, no. Shh, shh, shh. This guy, he valued life over pride. Oh. And so I will swear my service to him. Nice. Wow. And that's a real bro. Not only did the emperor sacrifice his salamander <laughs> for Vulcan, but Vulcan was willing to admit in front of everybody that the emperor had the bigger salamander. <laughs> it's in the bro code. Yeah, it is. He wasn't. He wasn't going to salamander him. He wasn't going to salamander shame him. Can't salamander shame him. No, he's got to take an L for the team. That's right. Wow. So, uh, okay. I, thought, I found that story incredibly amusing. That is. That is. is great. And oh man, I love how, I love how uh, the emperor. Like that's how the emperor won him over was through like just being honorable. Indeed. Yeah. And this carries on. Uh, what I would probably describe as a very special relationship although we don't honestly know what the nature of that relationship is between Vulcan and the Emperor so we don't know what it is we don't know what the nature of it is but there are some telltale signs and there's one really big factor that I'll get into as we go on because I'm taking over for now yeah we're trying to structure this shit ladies and gents we're learning (laughs) wish us luck yeah good luck (laughs) 54 lanes and no turn signal. Good luck, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, Vulcan took 
for some reason, and we don't know why, an abnormally long time to join up with his legion oh. compared to the other Primarchs. Okay. Which meant he spent a lot of time with the Emperor one-on-one. Oh. So there's your first big clue that there's something different about Vulcan compared to some of, to a lot of his other brethren. Yeah. Um, it wasn't because of his lack of talent or capability, certainly. Uh, we just don't know. Right. We don't know what took so long. But he was assigned to the 54th, co- 54th cohort during the uh, Great Crusade. Um, he actually saved his legion. They were in. They were fighting with the orcs, and they were fighting on this planet. I'm not going to try to remember its name, <laughs> but it was a volcanic planet. Lucky for them. Ah, uh huh. They were losing, and had decided to. They had attracted basically all of the orcs from this that was raiding this system onto one planet, and they decided they were going to use the volcanoes of this planet to kill all the orcs and probably wipe themselves out. Uh-huh. But it was going to take care of the orc problem. Period. Wow. And so they started setting off the volcanoes like basically they were in this giant uh, hole crater, but it was like, you know, it was huge. Right. It was holding armies and there was volcanoes around the edges and they just started setting off the volcanoes around the edges of the crater so that it would start flooding the lava Uh, behind the orcs, but it would eventually hit them too. Right. Right. And then. Interesting. um, Vulcan shows up, takes out the attack moon that's orbiting the planet and then teleports down and. Saves them, obviously. Uh huh. And that's when he gives them the name, the Salamanders. Um, one of the things that he did that I thought was really boss, he took all of the Salamanders that were from Earth and made them his honor guard. Oh, he wow. uh, instead of um, like a lot of the other Primarchs put their homeworld people kind of. They're like, I had fought with you. I, you know, you yeah. were you were with me when I was a child, so on and so forth. And so you guys get the places of honor. Vulcan kind of did the opposite. He didn't degrade the guys he was with by any means, sure. and they became first captains and so on and so forth. Yeah. But his honor guard, which were called the, I think they were called the Pyre Guard, they were Terranborn, and he felt that that was because they had carried themselves with honor and had carried the Legion until he got there. Right. Cool. And so that was, that. I thought that was a really cool yeah. kind of detail. I, I really like that, too, about him, because because you're right. A lot of them, they just kind of took their... It was kind of a nepotism system before with the other Primarchs. Yeah, and, you know. although nepotism is... Uh, they knew what those people were capable of. Right, yeah, that's and so true. Yeah. It's kind of more not, you know, these troops, you know what they're going to do. So it is natural, to, I think, to kind of put them in positions ahead of the ones you don't know. Right. Until their merit proves itself. But a lot yeah, but a lot of the a lot of what happened was they never got to that stage. Gotcha. They were never able to kind of earn themselves past the home the troops that were from the home world of the Primarch. So yeah, it was Vulcan from the get go kind of set himself off as different, which, you know, is always great. Yeah. So the Salamanders uh did a lot of rear action guarding during the Crusades. They um they had suffered, we're not going to get into it because obviously we want to cover them on their own, but they had suffered a lot of heavy losses very early on before Vulcan had come along. And a lot of this is due to their kind of self-sacrificing, stubborn nature. We saw that with Vulcan with not letting go of the salamander, right? Yeah. yeah. They had that nature, and so they would throw themselves into situations that they couldn't survive, and they would refuse to back down. Mm-hmm. So they were constantly getting decimated. Right. But what this did allow them to do is they worked with a lot of the other legions. They worked with the Sons of Horus. They worked with the Night Lords. They worked with the Death Guard a couple of times. Uh. They worked with, 
I think they worked with the Emperor's children. So they did a lot of like support of other troops, which gave them a pretty unique kind of experience in the Crusades, I bet. Right. Um, there was a couple of notable instances with other legions. Um, there was one time that he f- was fighting the Eldar with the Sons of Horus and the Iron Warriors. So he had Perturabo and Horus with him. Um, I That sounds like overkill to me. <laughs> <laughs> they won. <laughs> you know. Because, oh, you know, fuck those. What, what would we call them? Like feather brains or whatever. The fucking Eldar. Oh, yeah. Bird yeah. brains. Oh, bird brains. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they want to call us monkeys. That's fine. But they uppercase fucked them out of the planet. And there was a moment that Horus went really brutal and just started like bombarding the planet when he didn't need to. Uh-huh. And this actually gave misbringings to Vulcan about Horus's nature. Cool. And he had made a hammer called Dawnbringer. And, you know, anything that Vulcan is a master craftsman. So anything he makes is like fucking perfect right yeah he actually made it to give to horace and it was that moment that he decided not to he kept kept it for himself he felt that it was maybe a little too powerful for horace's nature wow that's that's good because i have here that it can like has teleporter technology in it correct yeah yeah no this ended up being a yeah good move on his part and it ends up saving saving his life later good yeah. So another one, he was fighting with the Night Lords, and this is interesting. This also kicks off a, a lifelong feud between Vulcan and Kurz. Mm. And I think it's because Kurz gave Vulcan a gift, what he thought was an actual gift, and Vulcan refused it. Hmm. So they were raiding this, they were uh, attempting compliance on this planet, and they were like going to attack the capital city, and Vulcan was around getting his Troops already was like lining up, excuse me, lining up. And he told the Imperial Army officers to stay back because he had a plan to send his men in first and they were going to basically ignore the civilian fighters, right? Mm-hmm. All of their weapons and stuff would basically bounce off the Astartes. Right. And so he was just going to march through and wipe out the actual soldiers. Ooh. And he's like, this way will reduce collateral damage, you know, yeah. no civilians. Minimize so harm. They do this, and as they're marching in, like no artillery opens up. There's no fire, no nothing, and they get in, and everybody's dead. They're hanging from ropes. They're gutted. They're skinned. They're swinging from lamp posts. Oh, the night lords had managed to slip in, massacre the entire city, and slip out without the salamanders ever noticing. Whoa! No kidding. Yeah. Ah, uh, what is? <sighs> So Conrad really did think he was doing them a favor. Well, there's a confrontation between them after this. Yeah. And Kurz actually doesn't understand why Vulcan's upset. He said he even says, like, I gave you a gift. Do you real? Do you understand that now you won't have to sack these other planets? He's like, you hate killing people so much. Yeah. It's like, now you don't have to. You're welcome. Damn it. It's like, I kind of get it. I kind of get what Conrad's talking about. As awful as this sounds, right? It's 40K guys, but. Yeah, I kind of get it where he's like, I- I'm sparing you what you don't want to yeah, do. Yeah, you don't want to hurt people, so yeah. now you don't have to. I-, I can really see how Conrad would get there. So, and, oh, that's so and sweet. I, in a way, Conrad's willing to take that <laughs> upon can, himself. I helped you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although he enjoys it, so is it really R- Right. Him? Yeah. You helped you. But um, <laughs> how did Vulcan feel about it, though? Vulcan beat the shit out of him. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay. But it should be known that it should Kurz let him. 
Yeah. Kurz was suicidal. Oh. And so this led to like a big old feud between, you know, Vul the Vulcan basically swore to never serve with the Night Lords again. Yeah. Conrad, although we don't have anything that explicitly says this, I think Conrad took that rejection personal. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I think he actually is stupid as this sounds. I think Vulcan's reaction legitimately hurt his feelings. I'll bet it did. Honestly, that's kind of what I was just going to assume myself because that really is like Conrad's way of like reaching out. He doesn't do nice things for his other brothers. No. No. So that was kind of, oh, maybe this is why, because he's like, well, they don't like anything that I do for them, so fuck it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know? A, you know, Conrad is legitimately insane. He doesn't, people like to be like, oh, he uses it as an excuse. And yes, but he didn't do it intentionally. He had right. no idea he was using it as an excuse. Right. So like, he doesn't get right and wrong the same way. Oh, that's so tough, man. I, I mean, I hate to sit here and sympathize with the uh, mass torture the, slash the murderer, <laughs> but damn. Oh, don't worry, we'll deal with that. We'll yeah. burn that out of you. <laughs> but anyway, things for the Salamanders tend to carry on pretty standard right up until uh, an incident known as Isfan 5, the drop site massacre. Oh, we may have heard of that a time or two before. Yeah, may have heard Maybe. a whisper or two. Yeah. yeah, I think we've yeah we've touched on it. I don't yeah. think you can avoid it. But <laughs> basically, Horus and some of the other traitor legions revealed themselves as traitors, and Istvan Five was the first first real battle of the loyalists and the traitors. Fucking bastards! Only it's called a massacre because the loyalists didn't know they were really fighting that war. <laughs> yep. So the iron the Iron Hands the Raven Guard and the Salamanders land on Isfan 5 to fight the Emperor's children, the uh, Sons of Horus, and the Death Guard. Their reinforcements are meant to be the Night Lords, the Alpha Legion, the Iron Hands, or the Iron Warriors, and I feel like I'm missing somebody. Doesn't matter. They're not really relevant. So the Salamanders take up position to fight the Death Guard. Um, the Iron Hands, obviously, with Ferris Manus having this grudge against Fulgrim take up position to fight the Emperor's children. Uh -huh. When, oh, the word bearers. I forgot about the word oh, bearers. Oh, right, of the course. The word bearers yeah. were also there on the side of Horus. That's right, that's right. Forgot about Logar. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was forgetting Tal. somebody. And Argol Tal, yeah. <laughs> so, Ferris Manus loses his shit going up against Fulgrim and stretches himself out way ahead of everybody. Vul uh, Vulcan tries to keep up with him, but at a lesser pace. Like, he's not losing it like full, like uh, Ferris Manus is, but he's trying to like make sure they don't get cut off while also not making sure that he gets cut off. Yeah, he doesn't want to pull an Angron. Well, he doesn't want to pull a Ferris Manus. Yeah. <laughs> Ferris is just charging it. The Iron Hands are charging ahead of everybody. Ah, Leroy Jenkins. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and Vulcan and the Salamanders are trying to be that bridge between the three, right? Okay. Which then leads to like this stupid tier system where you have like the People aren't going to be able to see it, but you're just going to have to take my word for it. No, you take my word for it. The Salamanders were on the left. The Raven Guard were on the right. The Iron Hands were in the middle. Now, what that idiot said about Ferris Manus is true. He was charging ahead recklessly, and Vulcan was trying to keep pace. However, he got the order completely wrong with his head firmly between his cheeks. How he got that idea, I'll never know. Thanks. When basically... Eh, the Salamanders get way overstretched. They are not as mobile as the Iron Hands. Yeah, they're kind of more like more like a 
bunkered up and uh, let the wave crash against yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, they're not offensive fighters. All the, I mean, they certainly can be, but it's they're better suited for slow moving, tight holding or a slow advance. Overwhelm yes. yeah. siege situation. Right. Yeah. So they are taking. <laughs> Lots of losses when they hear that their reinforcements are inbound. Vulcan decides to pull the Salamanders back and let the... Or it's not the Iron Warriors. The Iron Warriors were the ones reinforcing them. They were fighting the Death Guard. So Vulcan decides to pull back from the Death Guard and let the Iron Warriors move up. Which yeah. is actually, if you were going to have a Legion fight the Death Guard, the Iron Warriors are a good one. Oh, yeah? The, the Death Guard are all about endurance and that slow advance, never stopping. The Iron Warriors are all siege warfare, mm. both taking and keeping. Oh, right. Okay. So they would be able to that slow advance would be really shitty against the Iron Warriors. <laughs> You'd be taking so 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 many losses. <laughs> but the Salamanders are retreating back towards the Iron Hands when finally Vulcan makes eye contact with Perturabo, the Primarch of the Iron Warriors. Mm. Okay. And that he kind of has this realization that something's wrong, and they immediately open fire on the Salamanders. Oh. Along with the Night Lords and the Alpha Legion. So they're taking fire from the Death Guard, which are behind them, which are technically ahead of them. Yeah. And they're taking fire from the Iron Warriors behind them, which are now ahead of them. <laughs> you are going to help me map this out. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Anyway, they get absolutely decimated, which then results this. They get decimated and forced into a corner, which is actually where the Salamanders are at their best, right? They're at ah. their best when their backs are to the wall. Yeah. So Perturabo knows this. He's a master strategist, so he just nukes them. Oh, son of a bitch. Literally, like it describes where everybody's fighting. The Salamanders are holding them off and just everybody goes silent as this giant missile shoots up into the air and creates like this giant arc forming a horseshoe as it comes down right into the Salamanders. And oh. just like, boom. Wait. So that hit Vulcan too. Yes. Okay. There's actually this really good picture that you'll find right here where Vulcan is creating the body, cradling the body of one of his favorite sons. His name is Numitor. And he's got his hammer raised to the sky. And it's right as he sees them, you know, right before the missile comes down and hits everybody. Damn. (sighs) So Vulcan goes, takes tanks, a nuclear blast to the face. And stays conscious just long enough for the to see the night haunter kind of walk up on him, and then he goes out. Oh, jeez. Oh no. When he wakes up, he is on a prison Hulk, not a barge, a Hulk. So it's you know like the size of a continent. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's owned and run by <laughs> the Night Lords. Yeah, giant ship. Yep. Like a Independence Day level, you know, the one that's yeah. like it's the size of our moon. Gigantic. Right. Yeah. And. Kurz really has a hard on for breaking Vulcan's spirit because he views Vulcan as better than him, which he is. Vulcan is yeah. a pure spirit. I mean, he has he's shown there's some instances where he's shown a temper. Um, he kills an Eldar child out of anger because the Eldar killed a remembrancer that he has a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Um a cool fact about Vulcan is when he gets angry, he emits the smell of ash and sulfur into the air. Oh, interesting. That is neat. And I'm unclear, but there's a few descriptions where it, it seems like he actually causes ash to kind of rain. That's, huh. a, that's a neat weather effect. But yeah. I, there's, interesting. Some, there's some other things like this, too. Like with Lehman, there's some. I thought of Lehman. Yeah, there's that. a couple of, couple of instances where Lehman's in battle and he seems to be causing a lightning storm around him. Okay. Yeah. 
okay, so they seem to be able, the, all of them seem to be able to kind of emit like a radiance of, of effect some, around them. Of some right. sort. For it's Logar, like, it's like light. It's and, like, yeah, like for the Emperor, like there's like a radiance. You feel like enamored by him. Right. Yeah. It's like they have this massive aura and some of them don't have like direct control over it. Right. I think, uh, I you think know it, what I mean? Like, I think it's because yeah. they're all psychers, but not all of them are great psychers and not all of them even can control it. So I think it's just like a, a thing they're doing without meaning to. Yeah. Yeah. Almost on reflex. Yeah. So he wakes up and he is put through all kinds of tortures by curse. Curse starts off with the, the standards. <laughs> he has him shot by a hundred bolters. He rips out his throat with a fork. He uses his lightning claws to rend him limb from limb. He shoots him into the exhaust vent of their ship. He jettisons out him out into space into a sun. Jeez, All of man. this does not nothing, but it allows Curse to understand that Vulcan is a perpetual, which means that no matter what you do to him physically, he will reconstitute. Not only will he reconstitute, but he'll do it in with no side effects whatsoever, and he will do it in the closest, safest spot. Hmm. Yeah. So, like when they shot him off into space and he went into the sun, he rematerialized on the ship. Damn it. Oh, okay. Ah, uh, terrible. I was like, <laughs> he could just float out in space for a while. Shit. Nope. Goes to the nearest, safest spot, which is, you know, the house of his tormentor right because it's the nearest safest spot yeah. for his body to reconstitute so this isn't like a like a wolverine situation it's not like he has like a cell left it can, can it can be it can be but it's more like a it's even supernatural kind of yeah even more so like yeah it's like wolverine times a million where yeah. it's just like yeah like even if he doesn't have a cell left he's still gonna come back correct yeah yeah okay it's like on a molecular level it's, right yeah so, so Kurz decides to break his spirit instead. And so he puts him through all kinds of not physical tortures. Um, he has him in a room where he has to hold a very heavy chain. And on the other side, the chain is holding up a ceiling that if Vulcan lets go of it, crushes these innocent people that Conrad has rounded up. And Vulcan has unusual empathy for humans correct yeah so all of this is Primark, right yep, yeah he does uh there's nothing that vulcan values more than life human human life human life, human life. yeah he doesn't give a shit about orcs eldar or anybody <laughs> like no, yeah. no, no no that's not although to be fair they don't care about us either <clears throat> yeah um he straps him and a like a group of other people and when they say a group i'm imagining it's probably like a couple hundred right because everything they do is in large amounts right yeah and he he takes these people and he straps Vulcan to a chair and all of them to chairs around a banquet table that is full of food and then he leaves them there to where they starve to death. Just within arm's reach of yeah of all the food and he's just watching the food spoil and correct the people die and rot. And you know they're cry obviously the noises and they would be using the bathroom on themselves. Yeah. They would be getting sores and it would take weeks. Yeah. Um another one he put him in armor a battle plate that was automized and set loose on people so that he would just start slaughtering and killing these innocent people. Oh. And Vulcan was in the armor and he couldn't stop it, couldn't control it. Boy. Um, he used sorcery to make Vulcan fight and kill people like his brothers. Um, he made him experience a false escape attempt by the, the Raven Guard and then had 
Corvus turn on him, and so Vulcan had to kill Corvus. Oh, wow. So he made him see things. Yeah. None of this worked, and eventually, um, eventually Conrad just kind of gave up. Yeah, his imagination finally ran out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so what he did is he had Perturabo construct a maze, which means it's like layers upon layers upon layers, right? <laughs> and he put Dawnbringer, which was Vulcan's hammer in the center of it. And he says, if you can get to this hammer, we'll have a fight to the death, and that'll be the end of this. Oh, Because okay. remember, Conrad's suicidal, but also he knows when he's going to die. So, like, he can put himself in these situations, and he's just like, eh. Yeah. The problem is, is that his assumption is faulty, because what Conrad is seeing is one of many, hmm. many possibilities. Right. He, he doesn't, just doesn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he thinks he knows for sure how he's going to die. Right. And right. through his own machinations, he makes that true. Yeah, but it wasn't the only path uh, that his life could have taken. So Vulcan is wandering through this maze and he gets to his hammer finally and is inside of a force, an energy field that he can't can't break. So he decides to start taunting Conrad instead Oh, and starts telling him about how none of his brothers like him, how he's physically inferior, that the only reason why Conrad is doing this is because he can't take him in a one-on-one <gasps> fight, which is 100% true. <laughs> Yeah. Listen, Conrad's my favorite Primark. I'm like, you got to be an idiot to do this. <laughs> Vulcan is very strong. Yeah. Vulcan big boy. Yeah. Vulcan big boy. As Vulcan said, father made me the strongest. More like Vulcan. <laughs> Vulcan, yes. <laughs> Been shaking his head, but. They can hear it. <laughs> they can feel it. <laughs> you ain't got to explain to them. There was a disturbance in the warp. Yeah. <laughs> It was as, as if a billion disappointments cried out all at once. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Conrad, of course, falls for it. And he shows up and he decides to try to fight Vulcan with his fists. No weapons. Huh. Mm. Stupid. Interesting choice. Stupid. Yeah. Or one of my favorite quotes <clears throat> that I use all the time. Admirable, but mistaken. <laughs> Vulcan grabs him and swings him into the force field and uses Conrad to break it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're now my hammer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just baseball bat swings him into the force field and breaks it with him. Modern problems require modern solutions. <laughs> That's amazing. Which proves literally any problem you have, no matter what it is, can be solved using the right thing as a hammer. <laughs> Kids not listening, find the right hammer. <laughs> Wife not listening, right hammer. Car won't start, find the right hammer. Oh my god! <laughs> Society sucks, find the right hammer. Uh, I uh, listen. It's a metaphorical hammer. It is. I mean, you know, a hammer can be used as both a tool and a weapon. It can build and destroy. Right. That's true. Yeah. Which is actually one of the themes of Vulcan and the Salamanders, right? Oh, that's so neat. Nice. Yeah, they use true. hammers, but they give it. If they were left to their own devices, they would be builders. Yeah, they would. They would be just like the Iron Hands, things. which yeah. is why Ferris Manus and Vulcan did have a nice relationship. They were both uh, constructors. They were both blacksmiths. Yeah, forgers. Yeah, they hung uh, out together for a while, didn't they? They did. Oh, but anyway, so he gets to his hammer and he teleports halfway across the galaxy and into the atmosphere of Macrag, which <gasps> is the home world of the Ultramarines. And he re-enters like a comet, burning himself up. Of course, he reconstitutes. But uh -huh. for some reason, this 
death left him mentally fucked up. He when he reconstituted, he was really kind of feral. Huh. Kind of screwed up. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Like, but I wonder what like how would that be worse than what Conrad did to I him? I don't know. Interesting. Well, he had just been through all that torture. Was maybe, that maybe it? Maybe it was just the I finally escaped it and there's one more horrifying like Perhaps. pain. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I get why he would break. I just wonder why that was the thing that did it. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway, uh, Conrad follows him to McCrag. Oh, fuck. Which then leads to uh, Gilliman and the lion getting involved. Okay. And my favorite, John Grammaticus. <laughs> John Grammaticus. I hate this character. <laughs> I hate him so much. He seems to be so prominent. We, <sighs> we've danced around oh, him I, uh, through, I, through a lot of this. but So there's yeah. nothing, there is nothing wrong with this character. When he's in books, it's fine. His storyline is interesting. The only problem I have with it is, is for some reason, instead of just giving him his own series and letting it, motherfucker takes up chapters in other books. So you'll be like in the middle of this event and it's like, oh, let's check in on what John's doing. And I'm like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> <laughs> like it has nothing to do with what I'm reading about right now. Yeah. I don't fucking care what he's doing. Get me back to what I was just reading about. And this happens so many times that I'm just like, I don't like this character because he, he chops up stories that I care about. He's a filler side quest. <laughs> that just go, continues. Go fetch my pan yeah. from this building. I mean, <laughs> sort of, but not. I don't know. I, I'm sure he's got a lot of fans out there, but he just takes up so much time in so many other books. I'm like, just give him his own. If if you have so much stuff you need to do with it. Right. And so he shows up and in all the confusion manages to stab Vulcan in the chest with a crystal of fulgurite, which is a crystal type material that is it's like um, fulgurite from Earth where it's, you know, sand that's struck by lightning and it creates that crystal. Oh, OK. Yeah. Only this is a crystal that seems to be created by whatever energy arc the emperor emits. Oh, Okay. Okay. So his psychic energy kind of struck something like lightning and left behind this fulgurite. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which is apparently one of the only thing that can kill a perpetual. Ooh. Uh, wait, what? Fuck. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So he stabs Vulcan in the chest and kills him. Like, like puts him down. He doesn't reconstitute. He doesn't heal. Nothing. <sighs> and so they believe that this is the death of their their brother, you know, the lion and Sanguinius and Gilliman are there. This is around the time that the Imperium Secundus started to happen, where they yeah. thought the emperor was dead during the Horus Heresy. So McCrag became the new. Um, oh, the new capital. New capital. Yeah. Sanguinius became the new emperor. Hmm. Um, they laid Vulcan to rest in a solid gold casket. Oh. Um, the There was 70 salamanders left. What? Whoa. At this at this time, wow. that's what they believe was left of the legion. That's and like nothing. Yeah, that, that is nothing. That is and they were actually depressed because to them, their primarch being laid in this cold metal casket is not. You know, they are like fire and and rebirth. And yeah, so this they is how how to honor him really. Right, they wanted him to be laid into the fires of Mount Deathfire. <gasps> Uh, like that's where he's supposed to rest right cast him into the fire right yeah and so none of this so they're depressed about that when a character by the name of numion shows up now numion 
is a is a cool character. He's a character we might end up doing an episode on. Cool. He is the first captain of the Salamanders. He's rescued, and he for some reason doesn't buy any of this. He's like Vulcan. He's the one that coined the frame frame Vulcan lips. Stomp stomp. Ah. Hmm. Um. So that became like his battle cry. Like nobody believed that he was alive, right? Or that he could be reborn. Um. But he was insistent. And he basically told them, like, if we cast him into the fires of Mount Deathfire, he will be reborn. And so he got the salamanders rallied, and they finally convinced the other Primarchs to allow them to take him back to Nocturne and lay them to lay him to rest there, at least. Okay. Like Numion was like, no, this will this will bring, bring him back. back to life. They're like, this is what he wanted anyway. Yeah. So everyone's kind of like, okay, may as well. I'm not buying that. So but, the, the salamander yeah. so on their way to Nocturne, they pick up about 300 salamanders. So Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And yeah. that's, that's that's a better helpful. Number. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. they really get um, hyped, you know, by Numion. Yeah. And they're like, Vulcan's going to live. So they get there and they cast him into the fires and nothing happens. Oh. He does, he's not reborn hmm. like nothing. Um, the other salamanders actually handle it pretty well. And yeah. they're like, he's laid to rest. Let's take some time to regroup and we will um, elect a new leader. Numion oh. has none of this. <laughs> he's like, nope, we did something wrong. Um, about this time, Nocturne is actually attacked by the Death Guard. Oh. Huh. Which was oh, such a bad idea, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Nocturne itself told them to fuck off. Oh. <laughs> like... The volcanoes started erupting and like Godzilla sized salamanders start coming out of the ground and start like attacking the Death Guard and are just like, no, no, not right now. Like, fuck off. Which they do. Yeah. Okay. And wow. Nocturne has a cycle where the moon gets really close to it and fucks up its gravitational pull. And I. I can't remember what it's called. Prometheus? No, the time the, it's the time period of which this cycle oh. happens. It's called like the time of challenge or something like that. We'll have future Eric put it in there. Right on. Go future Eric. Go. Gypsy. No, wait, I'm trying to fix something. It's called the time of trial. But um Numion gets a harebrained idea and he waits until this cycle is just about to start. And he sneaks out and goes to Mount Deathfire. And offers himself as a sacrifice and flings himself into the fire so that Vulcan might be reborn. Huh. We have no idea why he believed this would work. Right. And he never got to see whether it worked or not, obviously. Oh, because it was an act of pure faith. Wow. Okay. Aww. It did. It, it must have worked. Yeah, because I still have my part to do. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must have worked. I'm like uh, at the edge of my seat, like, well. <laughs> so Vulcan was reborn and he was reborn. When he was reborn, he met a man inside of Mount Deathfire that referred to himself as Deathfire Incarnate. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it presented, and this old man presented Vulcan with two things a new thunder hammer called Uldracul. Which is a badass looking hammer. It's, Ooh, the big, huh? it's a big gold one that he wields. Fucking phenomenal. Dracul. And the talisman of the seven hammers. Okay. The seven hammers. Yep. And tells him that his mission now is to get to Terra. Okay. I'm going to speed this up a little bit because I'm taking a lot of time. Oh, that's okay. But um, by hook and by crook, he manages to get to Terra. 
which leads to a really good moment when he's welcomed to Terra by Rogel Dorn. Hmm. Yeah. And it's it's the moment that in that like everybody points to as Vulcan being like awesome. Rogel Dorn's defining trait is stoicism, right? Like he's stoicism incarnate. And Vulcan can tell just how happy he's the first loyalist Primarch to arrive on Terra. So Rogel's like beyond happy to see him. And Vulcan can tell, and he kind of not pokes fun at him, but cracks a joke. He says, you know, I would hug you, brother, if if I knew you like such things. And Rogel's like, yes, well, I don't. And Vulcan's like, I know. And then hugs him. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The hug that echoed across a fandom. And and Vulcan refuses to let go until Rogel smiles and hugs him back. Oh. <laughs> My God, my brother! Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a really nice moment to read. Yeah, it was just funny to. Uh, <laughs> he got yeah. Stoic Rogel, Rogel, just like all right, cranks a smile and hugs his big old brother back in the grim darkness of the future. There was a hug. <laughs> there was a hug. There was a hug. <laughs> a hug a between hug two Primarchs echoed across the eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It was the most unlikely of hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the beginning of The Hobbit. I know. I was, I was trying to make <laughs> an it. unexpected hug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Beautiful. But anyway, he Aww. he's there's not a lot of time. Uh, Rogel tells him, he's like, hey, listen, as nice as it's been, you need to get to talk to our father right now. Uh-huh. And so he's ushered in there, and the emperor tells Vulcan about the talisman of the seven hammers. Hmm. It is a failsafe device that the emperor had Vulcan build in his fugue state between life and death, along with Uldrakul, apparently. Oh, Vulcan fucking made them? Yes. Wow. He has no memory I of forging. Didn't even know didn't it. Didn't know it. Holy shit. But what this talisman is is that when placed into the throne, the golden throne, it becomes a fail-safe that should the emperor die, it then sends out a psychic lash that will scour Terra of all life, whether it's material or immaterial. Whoa. Oh. Uh, and, oh. It, and it will completely, like, rock Terra. Like, just turn it into a husk. Holy shit. And what this will... In, and what this does, what this would do is it would A, prevent chaos from getting any of the Emperor's technologies. Right. And also, it would be a crippling... The Emperor foresaw that it would be the crippling blow to the Imperium that would eventually lead to the collapse of chaos because chaos needs souls, right? Right. And taking out Terra would eventually would eventually cause like a, a pit to which everything would funnel into to where... Right. Eventually the chaos collapse, would, collapse of the Imperium, pretty much. Would be the collapse yeah. of the entire galaxy because the Eldar wouldn't be able to sustain by themselves. Right. Whether yeah. they like it or not, they need the Imperium's help. Yeah, their numbers are are too few. Right, and, and so this would eventually to... eventually be the blow that would kill Chaos. Wow. Yikes. Um, so this is like plan Z. Yes, and not only that, but it would have to be the only person that can activate it is Vulcan. Oh, shit. Okay. And it can only be active. Vulcan can only activate it once he decided to put it into the throne. So it's Vulcan's choice twice, basically. Wow. And the emperor tells him, the reason why I gave this to you is because you value life so much. You're the only one that can be trusted to be like, nope, it's to this point. Wow. Okay. That and, makes a lot of sense. Man, sacrifice is really the name of the game when it comes to Vulcan, isn't it? Yes. Like, And yeah, so wow. 
Vulcan actually agrees and and puts it into the throne, and so he now has access to that wow. switch. So now he's just now he's one decision away from correct. Yeah, if it comes to that, wow, wow. So after that, um, also I think Vulcan discovered the Webway technology that allowed the Emperor to do his. Um, oh really? His, his experiment? Uh, yeah. I can't find anything that like confirms that, but there's some mentions I found in some of the other research during the crusade that Vulcan came across several pieces of webway technology. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, and Vulcan has had several experiences that I kind of skipped over. Right. Um, when he was getting from Nocturne to the palace, he found some Eldar that helped him use the webway to get around chaos to get back. Oh. So, and then okay. what I'm getting ready to lead into, Vulcan's had a lot of webway experience which makes me wonder if they're going to use that in his story later okay like in the 41st millennium when he comes back okay i wonder if he's going to have something to do with the webway right i don't know so anyway um obviously you know during this the emperor was building the webway and then it got seized by demons and he spends most of the horus heresy holding this back right well and this is the newest part of vulcan lore this is in um Echoes of Eternity. Okay. This is right. the last time that I've seen Vulcan. The death, the the end and the death might have him in it, but I haven't gotten there yet. It's a okay. thick, it's a thickened book, and I have to stop <laughs> off it to do other research. But I'm getting there, I promise. <laughs> but um, the Emperor found out that Magnus was the one sending the demons through. <sighs> and so he sent Vulcan into the webway to go after Magnus. Uh-huh. And Vulcan does. He confronts Magnus. He dot he pulls a Doc Strange. Like he dies over and over again until he can get Magnus to really reveal his physical self. Because every time Vulcan would get close enough to hit him, it'd be like an illusion. Uh-huh. And then Magnus would use his powers to kill him in some new creative way. Right. Uh, I think in one of them, he turned all of his blood cells to crystal. Shit like that. Jesus. Ouch. Yeah. Shit Ouch like, is shit. right. So shit My like God. that. The ultimate kidney stone. <laughs> oh, ow. It's a good thing Vulcan's got a giant salamander to pass it through. <laughs> <laughs> it's no trouble at all. Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> oh, beloved Ryan. <laughs> but anyway, um, he does manage to kill Magnus, which all it does is send him back to Zeus's realm, right? right? But it ceases kind of this ongoing surge of demons. Right. Gives the Emperor a chance. What I bet is his opportunity to switch out with Malkador oh. so that he can then teleport. Right. Um, where Vulcan is now in the Horse Heresy, where I'm at, is that he is on his way back to the palace through the webway, but it's taking him a very long time because like it's killing him. Like he's falling apart while he's walking and he's reconstituting to walk further. And it's like, oh, I think because of where he destroyed Magnus, the passageway is becoming unstable and it's just like rendering him apart as he's trying to get back. Wow. So it's taking him a very long time to march Ooh. back to the webway, back to the entrance, which explains why he wasn't there when they teleported onto Horace's ship. Okay. Yeah. So wow. what happens between him being in the webway with Magnus and where you pick up, mm-hmm. I think is where his lore is at right now. Okay. So we have this blank spot that we don't know what he was doing. Right. So okay. with that, Eric, what happened after the heresy? Okay. So after the heresy, I'm I should have written down the uh the years for this because it's it's the War of the Beast. Um, and I didn't write that down, but that's fine. I'm sure that's common knowledge when this occurred. Obviously, it is long after the Horus Heresy. Correct. Um, so and the War of the Beast is 
really interesting. Like that deserves its own episode, honestly, which I think we'll be getting there with. Uh, which is funny because have... in the fandom, it's one of those stories people seem to either love or hate. Is that right? And really? I mean, the people that don't like it, they really don't like it. Really? I wonder why. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is they don't like it so much that they just say, and then the War of the Beast happened, and then they make some offhand comment and they move on. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that. So yeah. it's it. I, I would be curious as to why people didn't like it. Yeah. And maybe when we dig in, maybe if we do do an episode, you know, we'll kind of discover why. Because I, I ended up, re- I realized there's a lot of like internal po- politics and infighting and stuff like that that seemed really interesting to me. But I, I, I kind you know, I skipped over it. We're to get focusing the on the stuff. big band. Yeah. So, but the short of it is, uh, the orcs started becoming a really big problem Hmm. to the Imperium. Like Armageddon level problem. Yeah, like it was bad, bad. There were attack moons. Plural. Popping up everywhere. Which are Death Stars on steroids. Yep. Um, And, uh, and uh, is this, so that, and, you know, they knew this was led by the beast, what they called the beast. And what they were finding was that orcs were growing more intelligent. They were actually able to send ambassadors oh. to like would that like speaking to, gothic to, to people that don't understand like what that would be like. Imagine being approached by a shaved gorilla <laughs> wearing armor and an axe, and it walks up to you, opens its mouth, and goes, "Hello, governor." shit a fist take me to your leader <laughs> i must speak with him right like <laughs> perchance have a parlay <laughs> yeah right Actually, i mean yeah seriously <laughs> like from what i understand this like the minute the first like ambassador came out everybody was like what the actual fuck is going on yeah like what in the hell's going on you know what you know what would be terrifying about that wouldn't you have that in the back of your mind be like is this the next stage of like orc evolution are they all going to be like this oh yeah because yeah. the minute they're able to like do that fucked. yeah yeah because along with everything else with these guys like actual intelligence and strategy and the ability to negotiate it's not just there. would make them yeah but if they had it that would make them like goddamn unstoppable yes so yeah attack moons are cropping up everywhere they're they're ended up being an attack moon over terra at some point so that was kind of nuts um, but the very, very short of it is that, uh, uh, a man named Corland ended up as the Lord Commander, um, despite the ongoing incompetence of the High Lords of Terra. They were kind of screwing shit up left and right, right? So we won't get into all that, but there is a whole lot of story there for that. And, uh, they were making some poor decisions and not taking the threat seriously until it was far too late and stuff like that. Finally, this Corland guy ends up in charge, and it's revealed to him that they know where Vulcan is. And Corland's like, well, we need him. So Vulcan is on a planet called Caldera. Which um, was one of the planets that Vulcan liberated, and he renamed it Caldera. Ah, okay. That makes sense. And I like the name of it, too, because a Caldera is a huge, um, oh, help me here, um, not a crater, it's like the mouth of a volcano yeah the name of the mouth of a volcano yeah yeah very crater like so i thought that was a cool name so he's on caldera and he's he's staving off this is this i i i want i want artwork of this i know this This would be bosses 
fuck. <laughs> he is holding off single-handedly an invasion of orcs on Thou- this planet. Thousands, tens yeah. of thousands. What? Yeah. Like there are planetary forces there, but all of the orcs are getting drawn to Vulcan. Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just out there. There's a picture. There is a picture of him from this time period I'll bring up. Neat. Because you can just imagine. This is why I want to say I want to see the artwork. I want to see him in this armor with this hammer just going fucking ham. Yeah, the hammer is called Doom Tremor. It's a new weapon. And he's just like taking out hundreds of and thousands of orcs, you know, at a time. Sweet. Just, yeah. Oh, that thing is gnarly. Yeah. Can you imagine just watching him wade through orcs like a like a fucking green tank? (laughs) I love his armor, too. Yeah. the, The salamanders. So the Alpha Legion probably have my favorite look, but man, the Salamander's look is is hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, the Alpha Legion. Boss. I just love the Hydra, the scales and the fins, and yeah, that's just a, that's just a sweet <laughs> collars. I like the off collar of the Alpha Legion too. Oh yeah, Super. yeah. So between Vulcan's new hammer and his ability to regenerate as a perpetual, he's holding he's holding them off, holding off these orcs. It is still a losing battle. The orcs are actually at this time actively like they've got a uh, a gravitic generator, which is using gravity in some way to siphon off the planet's surface and core into orbit so that they can make a new attack moon with it. You don't understand how that works? (laughs) No, I don't. You slept through class, didn't you? (laughs) Quite simple, really. Yeah, quite simple. (laughs) <laughs> we, learned, we learned that in grade school you bitch <laughs> well if the orcs know how to do it and i don't that's it's a no it doesn't <laughs> it's, it doesn't say shit <laughs> so they're doing that vulcan refuses to leave corlin's like hey man like come on we we need a primark in this fight hmm. vulcan's not leaving because long ago he had sworn a vow that apparently is keeping him here on caldera hmm. fighting this losing fight as Vulcan is tended, you know, tends to do. Is He's holding the ground. Yep, that stubbornness. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but Corland uh, is like, all right, we'll help you out. So eventually they destroy the attack moon and the gravitic generator, which also kills Vulcan. But you know, he regenerates and comes back. And with the planet being saved, like they they were able to to with their combined forces defeat the orc force. And so Vulcan agrees to go with Corland to Terra. Uh, at Terra, I guess Vulcan basically like tells off the high lords, like you guys, you know, this is your incompetence is bullshit, you know, whatever. I would, yeah, I would love to see that, but, but he doesn't, um, he doesn't fire him. He doesn't get rid of him because for the sake of like, you know, keeping, you know, they're still fighting a war. He needs some unity there. Yeah. So now Vulcan is in charge and they find the, uh, kind of the capital planet uh, that the orcs are, you know, inhabiting, coming from where is the name of it? Ulanor. Ulanor? Ulanor, I believe. It does have a history. Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, they're they're kind of... They're, they're, so they have a capital city on Ulanor, the orcs do, and a great big temple slash palace. And it is on a special spot. The triumph of Olinor. It was the exact spot that the Emperor and the Primarchs assembled a hundred, well, 1,500 years earlier. 
Yeah, I believe that was actually the home world of the orcs. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Or, or what they considered to be their home world. Right. How reliable that would actually be. <laughs> that makes sense, though. So, uh, right. So, we are at Olinor. The forces of the Imperium have arrived. Vulcan is there, but Vulcan has, you know, he's taken command. He's like, I am in charge. And then basically secludes himself while they're on their way there and while they're pre making preparations. And it's mostly up to um, the leader of the Mechanicum and Lord Commander Corland to strategize. And I think maybe Vulcan just did that because he's like, I, you guys just need somebody to prevent all this damn infighting. I think so. So that's probably what that's, that is. In my opinion, I think Vulcan was fed up with the Imperium. He was fed up with the red tape. That's one of the reasons why he chose to fight that war all by himself. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. He's just like, I'll just deal with this myself. I'm sick of this. Yeah. Also, yeah. I bet we're going to find out a lot about his headspace. Like, we don't have a lot. We don't know how he dealt with the death of the emperor. Right. We don't know how what he did right after the heresy. So I bet a lot of that's going to shed light on why he decided to do things specifically the way he did. But just speculating, yeah. I think it's because of, like you said, the red tape. He was just tired of all the bureaucracy and just decided to do it himself. Yeah. And setting himself up head that way, they couldn't end fight. They would have to ask him. And if he refused to see him, they wouldn't be able to make any decisions. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> but so probably a good move. And he does seem to be one who's like, uh, let the humans deal with human business as, as best they can. And I'm just here if needed. You know? Yeah, he has a, a good grasp on the fact that he's human, but not. Right. Yeah, it's like you're not really a good representative of what this species is. Right. <laughs> and he yeah. really sees himself as an as a protector kind of sitting on the outside, I think. Right. Which a few of them have that. Um, Sanguinius is a lot like that. He yeah. lets people make their decisions. Oh, Jagged Icon was a lot was a lot like that. Oh yeah, he wasn't really interested in the day to day. Lehman, Lehman was like that. Yeah, Lehman wasn't, I was thinking about Lehman. Yeah, Lehman wasn't about. He would let people make their own rules. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. It's a nice. I like that quality in a Primarch. <laughs> Me too, honestly. It's a good quality. Yeah. It's a good quality. It's like a self-actualization kind of thing. Yep. So, um, they are at this orc capital world, basically, and they see the capital city with the capital palace thing there. Orbital bombardment is nearly ineffective because of the defenses that are set up on Olinor by the orcs. <laughs> and they find that the orcs, like... Their whole this planet is just covered in pretty well organized settlements, as far as orcs, orcs go. go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Vulcan leads the ground forces since they can't really orbitally bombard. Um, and at about that point, and there, uh, this battle is crazy. What they find out is that Olinor is no longer a planet. It is now. It has been converted into an orc attack planet. <laughs> We oh. had attack moons before, Ooh. and those were bad enough. Right, but planets are bigger than moons. Yes. So by now, a factor. Yes. So that's bad. Um, of the space marines, it, uh, just the space marines, uh, they were they were approaching like nearly 50% casualty rates. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's, so that's, uh, unfortunately, that is pretty standard for salamanders. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, fair enough. But it is Vulcan who kind of, Helps hold things together, and step by step, step they make their progress. Um, and the the terrain of the planet is actually moving to uh, 
uh, favor the orcs and stuff like that. Like this planet is oh, what moving. A, what a difficult situation. Yeah, they're in a pretty tough spot. It's and like the, Unicron. Yeah. Um, their titans are being taken out by the orc version of titans. I have that written down somewhere. I'm sure the word will come up as we go because it becomes relevant Jerry again. made my eyes go fucking cross-eyed <laughs> he's like oh it's Unicron I'm like there's a name I haven't heard in a while <laughs> a Gargant Gargant is the name of these the orc titans basically and so they're it's nuts this is all getting crazy so as Vulcan and his forces be they get start getting close to this temple because they that's where the beast is there's a lot of other stuff going on that I am way glossing over or skipping over. So yeah. don't yell at me in the comments, but do tell me about them in the comments because right. I had to skip over them a lot. When As they draw close to this temple, which is a huge temple palace thing, they find out it's not a temple. It is a giant mega, what did I call it? Gargant? Gargants. <gasps> the temple starts rising up and laying waste to people. What a twist. So... <laughs> What a twist. Fucking orc titans. Yeah. Oh, my this God. Beast is just got, he's got trap after trap. Um, so Vulcan. Which is impressive for a race that usually avoids shoelaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shoelaces are a little complicated for them, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Vulcan leads a force of 3,000 Astartes in an assault on this quote unquote temple because they want to finish off the beast. Ah, they finally make it. They breach the hall. They get inside because, you know, even a regular Titan, you're basically laying siege to a castle. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's a the, moving one. Yeah, that's a warhouse, let alone if you get into the Imperial class, the Imperator class, where they literally have cathedrals on top of them. Yeah. And then this thing's bigger than that, probably. Right. Yeah. Like this thing's fucking huge. They, they, they had no way of classifying this at the time when they found it, it was no. just that big. I, that I'm imagining it's like this. Hey, go back and look at our Titans episode. But I'm imagining that this is a castigator class. You know that one that they found that they had to destroy. Oh, super huge one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm imagining something, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. <sighs> so they make it inside and they fight their way through, uh, and they come upon kind of where the generator is for the the power generator for this. I don't know why the word won't stick. I'll just keep calling it a temple. It's their temple, and it moves and it Gargant? kills things. Gargant. Thank you. Temple Con. Yeah. They also find a great big uh, statue about 10 meters tall of a mighty orc warrior clad entirely in armor. That's no moon. <laughs> they realize it's not a statue. <gasps> it's the beast. Huh? Right there. <laughs> surprise after surprise after surprise. I would of, actually be getting pissed at this point. I know, it's like my, <laughs> another one. Jesus. So Vulcan is the only one who can really stand up to this thing. Uh, a couple of chapter masters from other um, uh, legions die. Oh, I'm sure. Against the uh, the beast, you know, as they're fighting. And Vulcan is telling um, the Lord Commander, pull the forces out. And, yeah. you know, uh, Corlin kind of realizes cannot win like, this. Yeah, this is another sacrificial moment sort of thing. So, he, despite some opposition, Corlin does manage to get a tactical withdrawal from uh, the Temple Titan or Temple Gargant. Gargant. Titan, it is. Yeah, a titan. it's a Titan. Yeah, it's an orc Titan. It's an orc Titan. Um, Vulcan tackles the beast into that power generator that I mentioned earlier, um, and be, be starts getting like. So they're in the generator, and Vulcan is getting like overwhelmed with this war energy. 
um, which had consumed, like they've run across it before throughout this war, and it always kind of consumes and destroys, you know, anyone who kind of like does tap into it. They had a problem with that with like psychers, librarians, right. stuff like that. Vulcan is getting infused with it. And, uh, you know, but instead of being consumed by the war energy, because he's a perpetual, because he's a perpetual, but also he gets in touch with kind of his own, um, I had it in quotes, his own primal and savage essence. His psyker ability. Yeah. He becomes one with the influx, in quotes, of wah energy. Oh, uh, I bet this right here is the part that people didn't like. Ah, uh, okay. And he smashes the beast in the face, which detonates the generator, which blows them both up along with the temple gargant and basically Cut. cuts the head off the snake. Yeah. Um, the rest of the orc forces are, you know, are collapses that you know they disarray and stuff like that they've lost you know their leader and stuff and so they're at the end of the day the imperium is able to triumph and limp its way back home <laughs> yeah i bet the reason why people didn't like that is that's a mouthful of nonsense when you could have just said the latent psyker energy of the primark yeah combined with the war energy blah, blah, blah. like I, I i will speculate speculate yeah Tell that, us why. If you didn't like it, tell us yeah, why. If you're one of yeah, those guys what about that didn't this like didn't the story? Like. Did you not like? Yeah. Or if you liked it, give us some reasons why you did like it. Right. Yeah. Because to me, this was fascinating, and, yeah. I, and I did like that idea of him like kind of getting in touch with his own kind of inner like animalisticness or or whatever. You know, yeah, you I quoted gotta, it earlier. So you got to make yeah. it psychic energy because otherwise, right. yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it was, it, and probably to somebody who's not a psyker it probably was that equivalent. Like that's kind of probably what Vulcan had to do to get in touch with yeah. that kind of power. Well, to, all humans are know. psychers. So right. to some level. So yeah, yeah, I mean, that's probably the way to access it, but yeah, I can see why people probably didn't like that presentation of it. Is sure. Yeah. But smash the beast in the face, destroyed the thing. Um, after that, there were kind of whispers that the beast may not be, of course, defeated, but yeah. And that's where, we, that's where I left off with our dearest Vulcan. He got blowed up. Um, he did show up one other time, and he he um, he was going off into the webway, and, and he told them that he would return. He pulled a Lehman. Ah, uh, right. He left some things behind too for them to find. Right. He the left nine artifacts. The nine artifacts. The nine artifacts. Jerry, do you know of the nine artifacts? I do have a list of them. Yes. Then let's oh, do the nine artifacts, Jerry. Yay. Okay. Uh, the first one is the Spear of Vulcan. Nice. Ooh. The Second one is the Kesare's mantle, which Kesare was one of the magma worms or the uh, the salamanders, the salamanders, the one that he had on his shoulder, shoulder the skull. skull. Oh. Nice. Yeah. So Kesare's mantle is something he left behind. The gauntlet of the forge, cool. And those three things are currently wielded by the forge father Vulcan Histen. Yeah. Okay. And they everyone anytime there's a new forge master, they take that name. Oh, okay. And like, the forge master's job is to find all of the artifacts because uh, when you find all nine artifacts, Vulcan will return. Ah, okay. Uh, right. But anyway, continue. Yeah. The next two are the Chalice of Fire Ooh. and the Eye of Vulcan. Oh. And those they have found and they are keeping them on the Fortress of Prometheus above Nocturne. Okay. Right. Okay. On the moon. <clears throat> and the other four, they have not found yet. They are the Engine of Woes, the Obsidian Chariot, the Unbound Flame and the Song of Entropy. Song of Entropy. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you this. Vulcan wrote, uh, he's a poet. 
Really? Really. During the Crusades, he wrote like a bunch of, like a book of sayings, more or less, book of poems. Okay. So oh, that's cool. So I wonder what that song of entropy is. Yeah. yeah that, one, that one stood out to me too. I was like, oh, that's not really and the thing engine of work. The engine of, the engine of woes. Those two sound like um, the engine of woe and the songs of entropy. Those sound like chaos things. Right. Yeah, yeah they do. And he, he made all these things. I right. Believe, didn't he? Yes. Wow. Yeah. He, for, he, he forged them all. So. Yeah. Because he's the forged guy. The blacksmith fella. Cool. Okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you also got some war gear there. I, I do have some war gear, but you guys mentioned some that were not on my list. So that's fine. His the Draken scale, which is his artificer armor. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's the one that's got the skull of uh, Kesseray on it. Nice. That's the one he wore during the Great Crusades. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. And on his fan, uh, the Dawnbringer, which we talked about briefly. Yep. Yep. It's got uh, teleporter technology in it. Mm-hmm. Enough to, to teleport him like world to world. Uh, he uses he uses it to teleport across the galaxy to McCrag. Yeah. But wow. that seems to be kind of a one-off. Yeah. Huh. Um, it's, it seems to be him pressing its capabilities. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It says it's only liftable by a Primark because it's so heavy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we know another hammer that's kind of like that. Oh, yes, we do. Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some neat. crossover there. Nice. And then there's the furnace's heart, which is like an energy weapon pistol. Yeah, it's a plasma plasma pistol. Okay. Yeah. I love the names of their plasma pistols. It was a gift from Ferris Manus. Yeah. Just, just like how um, Mortarians is the lantern. Yep. I did read that for some reason he does not like to use it. He doesn't. Um, they yeah. don't, the salamanders themselves, they don't like ranged weapons. Okay. They like flamers. Right. Obviously. Yeah. But uh, they prefer hammers. Um, he did, he did wield a a power sword. Hmm. Not sure what that was called. He wore he. That's the primary weapon that he wielded during Isfan Five. Oh, okay. And then at some point during the battle, he switched over to Dawnbringer. Yeah. Uh, it probably, in my opinion, I think the sword probably broke at some point. Right. Um, he had Old Dracul, mm-hmm. which was a thunder hammer. Yep. And then he had Doombringer. And then, of course, the one that he was using. Uh, what did I call it? Future Eric, help me out. Doom Tremor, dumbass. So, so, oh yeah, there's a bunch. Yeah, I think we're ready for a few comparisons before we get out of here. Yes, I believe we are. All right. So, uh, obviously, Vulcan has a pretty. He's got a pretty obvious parallel in the Roman god Vulcan, Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> who was the god of fire and fort the forge. Volcanoes. You know? Yeah. Well. Yep. That's right. He resided in a volcano and stuff like that. So that was pretty neat that the volcano was how they like resurrected Vulcan. Yep. Yeah. Point. Um there's also uh some Christ allegory in here. Oh just the a little sacrifice. Yeah. The sacrifice just a little getting stabbed by the special thing was kind of what like Killed him, killed him, the you know? Spear. Yeah, you've got that spear of destiny there. Being tortured. The torture, yes. The torture, that extended period of time through the torture, you're right. The Satan, Satan dark figure trying to yeah. break the will. Break him and, yeah, change him, so. He died and then met something oh. in the, while he was in between death. Right. Yeah. And, and came back. Made things while he was there, too. And then, yeah, yeah came back. Um so there's a lot of cool ones there. And of course, just that whole thing with sacrifice with him, like his, and his love for humanity being yep. more so than any other Primark that we're seeing. A, yep. a lot more empathy out of him. Jesus the carpenter. Yeah. The yeah. Cra- and the blacksmith. Craftsman. Oh, yeah. They're both craftsmen. Yep. So yeah, the, the Christ allegory here is strong. There's another one I, I picked up on as we went. 
uh, the Titan Prometheus from Greek mythology. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Constantly regenerating. You know, Prometheus had had to constantly regenerate his his liver. liver brought fire and light. Yep, he brought fire and light to mankind. He he um, and that was a, like so. Prometheus's name means forethought, so it's implied that. He knew it wasn't going to go over well if he helped out humankind, but he <laughs> did it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, he's also so. a bit of Hephaestus. Hephaestus, um, yeah, Hephaestus. yeah, and he's the Greek god of. <sighs> I'm drawing a complete blank on what what's up with Hephaestus for the most part, but yeah, there's that that fire and he the created forge all the and, weapons for the gods. Yeah, um, he was actually considered kind of untrustworthy, I guess. Yeah, people didn't trust blacksmiths back then, right? <laughs> and he was yeah. ugly. And he was ugly. Yeah, he was malformed. Because like the salamanders are considered to be one of the most evil looking. Yeah. They're they're black skinned with red eyes. They appear wreathed in flames and fire. Yeah. But they're they're not. Yeah, they're one of the best of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're not savages. No. Mm -hmm. Not like the world eaters or the night lords. Yeah. Or even, I dare say, the um, Volca Fenrica. (laughs) Yeah. Those savages. They I'm are. They, they are. They they're are. savage as fuck. <laughs> Noble mean savages. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, yeah, pretty rich with like parallels there. I thought that was that was really cool. And of course, dragons and yeah. you know, man, there's a lot to this guy. Mm-hmm. So he's he seems to be a fan favorite for a lot of reasons, and I can definitely see why. I can definitely see why. He's definitely too. one of my favorites that yeah. we covered. Yeah. yeah. Any like final thoughts? Um, I want to hug him. I'm a little jealous of that. Would uh, be a big warm hug. Yeah, it would be a big warm hug. He could pick me up off his, <laughs> off my feet and yes. give me a big old hug because he's make you feel nice, warm, and safe. Yeah, very. Warm. Oh my god, and yeah. safe, Jesus. and safe. My god, hugged by a mountain. <laughs> he is the biggest Primark. He, he, no, so uh, one of our forgive me for not being able to pull it, but one of our um. Listeners actually informed me that Ferris Manis is said to be a whole head taller than Vulcan. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, wow. But he is the physically strongest. Physically strongest. Okay, gotcha. Which Angron was able to hold up the foot of a Warhound Titan, so who knows? That says something. It does. Yeah, there's something to say there. Jerry, final thoughts on Vulcan? You know, I just like him. <laughs> I really like this guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's he's kind of a breath from the uh, the grim darkness a little bit. And, yeah, it and, is a nice, refreshing kind of. And thing so are the salamanders. Yeah, yeah. I have to agree. They he was the Primarch that first caught my attention. I like them as the shining star in the dark. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Even though the Blood Angels are supposed to be like that example of heroes and stuff, it really is the salamanders and Vulcan that are the true heroes right they're the selfless kind yeah they're the real believers yep they the, will, the yeah. blood angels do it do it to be an example the salamanders do it because it's the right thing to do yeah and thereby become the example exactly yeah, yeah. so, so awesome. they a great 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 primark great episode we will definitely be doing a part two when we get more lore on him and we'll be covering his legion the salamanders whenever god Emperor allows us. <laughs> that's, that's how we'll when we'll we claw our way out. out of Mount Doomfire. <laughs> Mount Doomfire. Yes. So with that, we'll say we'll we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Yeah. Uh, be sure to follow. Type in at Cult Talk Net into Google and follow us on all the things that you can find there. We have a link tree too if you need a more centralized location to find that. It's all at Cult Talk Net. That's right. the easiest way to find yeah. us. Call to Campbell. Call to Campbell's a great show. We're 
trying to start up called a Russell here and there. We're trying to rustle us up some Russell. Oh my God. We've got <laughs> Cult of conspiracy. conspiracy. What's the release? Cult Tox Conspiracy. Cult Tox Conspiracy. And that comes out Tuesdays. Every other Tuesday. Don't worry. We can edit this to make it look like we know what we're talking about. Oh, is that what you think? Yeah. And you won't know what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I was here and I don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) And of course, Cold of Lore every first and third Thursday slash Friday of the week. (laughs) We swear. Um, And uh, forthcoming is the two-year anniversary of Cold Talk Net as a whole. Really, but all you know, uh, starting with Call of Campbell, and we'll be doing a special crossover episode of that coming up. Uh, Necronomicon, yeah, so that's exciting. And I think that I think that's all of our plugs, yeah, all the plugs, yeah. If you've listened this far, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we'll see you all next time. I'm Ben, I'm Eric. This episode was hot, and we'll see you all next time. (laughs) 